This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heald and I'm joined today by Katie Bulls and Kate Andrews. Now Kate, over the weekend the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt was talking up the prospect of tax cuts ahead of the March budget. I was going to ask you Kate, how much can we take his word on this? It's a good question, James. If you don't mind, I'm going to go back a few extra days before we get to the weekend, because last week we had hints from the Prime Minister when he was in Hampshire and Jeremy Hunt when he was at Davos, suggesting that tax cuts might just be coming down the road once again when we get to the March budget. But that kind of subtlety evaporated over the weekend when the Prime Minister wrote for the Sun on Sunday and the Chancellor wrote for the Mail on Sunday, and they were quite explicit about more tax cuts. Rishi Sunak said, it's tax cuts with me, it's tax hikes with Kiyostama. Um, and Jeremy Hunt went so far as to try to compare his government to Nigel Lawson as Chancellor, who famously slashed tax um, years into Margaret Thatcher's premiership um, after they had made fiscally difficult decisions to get inflation under control. He was trying to draw a direct comparison there. And I think the idea from this weekend is, look, tax cuts are definitely coming in the March budget. This isn't a huge surprise in the sense that I think people have felt for a while that if there isn't a tax offering in the March budget, you know, the Tories really have absolutely nothing left. But the idea that here is that there's some kind of a trend that in the autumn statement, you got some major business tax cuts, full expensing was made permanent. There's that 2P reduction in employee national insurance. And now, you, you know, the speculation is that you're going to get something around income tax in March. To your question, James, can we believe him? The difficulty the government has come into is that you can tell people all you want that taxes are being cut, but they will know, they will instinctively know, looking at their pay slips, if the tax burden is falling. And because of that freeze on tax thresholds, millions of people are being dragged into paying higher rates of tax. And as we saw in the autumn statement, really substantial tax cuts that took up almost the entirety of the chancellor's um, fiscal room. It was about 30 billion pounds worth of tax cuts. That still didn't move the dial at all on the tax burden, which is still on track for a post-war high. I think the implication from the weekend is that the Tories know that they actually have to get the tax burden falling. Can we believe them? Well, they know people are going to be looking out for this. It only took hours after the autumn statement for people to say, wait a second, your narrative about tax cuts isn't all that it seems. I think for me that the the biggest frustration here is going to be that even if you do get the tax burden falling, the Tories have brought it to such a high that the question is, are these cynical tax cuts going into an election or are they really going to offer up a new trajectory, a new way of thinking about the role of the state if they were to get a fifth term? And I think particularly when it comes to the Tory grassroots, they're going to be asking very similar questions because we know that when they've had the opportunity to select a leader, they, they decided to go for Liz Truss, who was offering up, granted very unrealistic at the time, but substantial tax cuts and, and, and changes to the way that the state operates. And I, I think the Prime Minister and Chancellor understand that they have to offer up something more than what they've done in the past. Katie, why are the Tories persisting with tax cuts, given that, number one, they don't seem to have got the political credit for the uh, moves announced in the autumn statement? And number two, polls show that voters would prefer more public spending over increased tax cuts. So I think when you look at the narrative from Rishi Sunak this year, I think it is 
clearer than it has been in a while, which is don't go back to square one. We've made too much progress. And what they were trying to flesh us out to probably have a more emotional message, which would be we've got through a pandemic. We've dealt with high inflation. There's been a war on the continent. It's still going. But, you know, in this time of instability, when we've gone through these things as a country, I remember Rishi said it was a guy who gave you lots of money. We're nearly out to the other side. So why give up the progress? Now, when it comes to tax cuts, and why is it that role in public spending? Well, I think there's a couple of things at hand. First off, I know some will probably roll their eyes, but because Rishi Sunak has not given much evidence to suggest that he is a low-tax Tory over the years. Of course, he became Chancellor just before a pandemic, is what his side would say. But even some of his own cabinet colleagues, to the Liz Trust point that Kate made, do not think that he is someone who's serious about low taxes. But I think he is quite serious about a smaller state and tax cuts. And he thinks you actually need to have all these things come together. So control welfare, control spending. You end up in a situation where you can cut taxes. His side will say, look, everyone liked the idea of Liz trusting all these tax cuts, but they didn't really last a day. We've announced these tax cuts. Yes, the overall tax burden is still going up, but it's going up at a less high rate than it was before we announced them and they have stayed in place the markets have not panicked despite the UK being the ugliest baby you know just a a year or so ago and therefore I think that this is partly what would a conservative party do a conservative party would cut taxes not spend 2019 Boris Johnson's manifesto his pitch which is one of the I think the hangovers we have now was actually moving to the Tories to a more high-spend pitch to voters, perhaps a bit closer to where Labour is, in the sense it was growth, high-spend. We won't raise your taxes, but we also are going to put more into public services. It feels as though partly because of the financial restraints in terms of where the economy is, the tough choices that government's going to face, partly because Rishi Sunak was always the person in the chance that the Prime Minister's meetings looking a bit nervous when the idea of spending more money was, whereas I think Boris Johnson was far more relaxed about that, even dating back to his time in City Hall. It means you now have a leader and a number 10 that is willing to cut spending and deal with some of the backlash from that and then use that money for tax cuts. Now, is it going to be widely appreciated by the public? I think there are clearly two most obvious problems. One being because of the stealth taxes, because of fiscal drag, it is taking with one hand, giving with the other. And I think Labour quite successfully planted that message. And also that point has been made by multiple commentators on the right. And therefore, at a time when people will probably feel worse off than they did before the last election, does the governing party get much gratitude for a little bit more relief at the end of the month, given everything that's happened. Secondly, I think you have a situation where lots of people say, well, I can't get an appointment on the NHS. I can't, you know, do these things. It's not working. I think in a way, the clip, which there was a clip on Friday of Richard Senate meeting a voter on the NHS. Now, the initial clip was not accurate to what exactly had happened, but what it did show, the general clip and even the longer one, was just, you know, someone saying, why can't we go back to how it used to be? And I think there is just a general feeling that public services and the country is not working in the way people would expect it to, particularly with paying so much in tax. Now, it could still be the case, though, as an I personally, and this is not a particularly well-informed view, but I think what you might say in the poll in terms of I would like more money on public services and what you feel when you're personally voting in a ballot, at the ballot box when no one can see and you're not having to speak to anyone, you know, you might actually start to think more about your own income and have tax cuts affect you. We've seen in the past that that is the case to lots of voters. So I don't think it's a completely hopeless strategy to go for more tax cuts. And I also don't think tax cuts are unpopular. I think the question is, 
are they a bit toxified from what happened with the Tories a while ago? And is the state of everything else to the point that it just looks like an election bribe, which is what the Tories need to get away from? So in the spring budget, I think they need to somehow move off the idea this is all just a tactical strategy to kind of bribe the voters, give them a bit of money back and get in. Because I think you've got to have a bit more of a narrative and arc around it than just uh, looking as though you're panicking because you've got nothing left in the locker. Katie makes a very important point there about um, the sustainability of tax cuts. And the best thing that Jeremy Hunt has done is he has put tax cuts back on the agenda and shown that markets don't have to react badly to them. I think a lot of the pushback against tax cuts over the past year has been about what happens when you implement them, because Liz Truss created one narrative, and that's what happens if you do so quite irresponsibly and bring in what at the time was thought to be the single biggest spending spree on any one policy that a government will have ever implemented, which was the energy price guarantee. It didn't pan out that way, but that's what markets were being asked at the time to fund. So, you know, if you if you do that at the same time, people react badly. But Jeremy Hunt's put tax cuts back on the agenda. That's really good. I think a- another big question going into the March budget is, as Katie says, Rishi Sunak is someone, especially in the Treasury we saw, who's always understood that if you want that leaner state, if you want a smaller state, if you want tax cuts, you also have to address the spending side of the ledger. Is the Tory party going to address the spending side of the ledger months before general election? Are we going to see cuts to state spending or are we going to see more generous comments on state spending? How are they going to do that? How are they going to make the numbers add up? In the autumn statement, we got what was estimated by the Office for Budget Responsibility to be a £19 billion black hole because departmental spending was not going to rise as fast as inflation. The Tory response to that is, well, look, if you get just even moderate efficiency gains, that number is going to drop significantly. But that is also going to be, I think, a major question is, are they going to get these, quote, sustainable tax cuts by draining public services of their funds in the future? Or are they going to try to address that? I I just cannot imagine a March budget where Rishi Sunak stands up and says, actually, I think the NHS has a bit too much money, or I really think we should tackle the triple lock on pensions. It, it is an intergenerational unfairness. I think you're just going to get giveaway after giveaway. They'll be clever with the accounting, but it could lead to some much bigger questions for whoever is next in Parliament. Well, I think the very live question is, of course, the fact that you have spending, real-term spending cuts factored in for after the election in non-protected departments. And therefore, the question really is, do the Tories find some money for that? And if they don't do Labour, and do you have a situation where both parties go into an election campaign, which I think is possible in the sense, because Labour's being so cautious on spending, potentially you do end up in an election where neither party is making new spending commitments that are very large because of all the things we've got to and therefore if uh, do you effectively have both parties saying they're not going to increase the envelope for those things during the election campaign and then the question for voters will be do you think it is realistic that a Tory government or a Labour government will actually oversee quite big cuts to some of these departments and they will hold the line on that. And if you don't, where do you think they're getting the money from? Uh, and finally, away from Westminster, Humza Youssef was out on the airways this weekend talking about the chances of Keir Starmer becoming Prime Minister. Uh, Katie, he suggested this was going to be an inevitability after the next election and suggested he was willing to work with Labour on this. What's the thinking behind all this? To be fair to Humza Youssef, he can point to a YouGov poll which gives Labour a 27-point lead. And I think, therefore, you can say... Oh, look, it's definitely going to happen. Therefore, 
think about if you are a Scottish voter and you're somewhere on the left, what you would like in that scenario. If you don't have to use your vote to get the Tories out, you could have a situation where you have a Labour government in Westminster, which I think nearly all SNP voters, obviously, please get in touch if you're an SNP voter who disagrees with this. I think there could be a couple. Now, of course, you know what you get, the Tartan Tory side of the SNP. But generally speaking, the core SNP voter would rather have a Labour government in Westminster than a Tory government. And I think because the polls are as they are, you have a situation where the SNP strategy has changed once again. It's been a roller coaster. You know, it's about, oh, we'll get a majority on the independence to one where... I think they think that the best option is to try and assure these voters that because Keir Starmer looks so assured, you don't need a situation where they need to waste their vote, so to speak, on Scottish Labour. And why not have a strong voice for, you know, if you are a voter who backs independence but also is left-leaning, you can have it both ways. You know, you can hedge your bets. And I think that is clearly what is driving the strategy. And it's going to be one of the problems for Keir Starmer, which again might sound silly when he's so far ahead, his electoral problems, but... There are always narratives in elections and the Tories doing as badly as they are currently doing. Homes are used to have problems in Scotland and so forth. It does mean if things don't change, the narrative will probably be Keir Starmer's on course for a majority of 150 to 200. What are you going to do with that huge power? And that shapes every debate, it shapes every interview. And it's why Keir Starmer's team keep warning about no complacency and so forth, because they know that if there is the narrative, it does mean that you probably help uh, people like him's use of making that argument. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Kate. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.